uh, that's always a good thing. And uh, I'm excited for all that it brings about. But most importantly in the life of our church, this month is a month where we focus on um, missions, specifically what God is doing in worldwide missions. Uh, God's not just working in Finley, God's working everywhere. He calls every local church to have a, a ministry locally, but also regionally and nationally and internationally. And I don't want to take for granted that everybody that's coming to our church uh, understands how we do missions and how God's called us to do missions. So you've heard about the missions conference that we're going to be having all day on Sunday, October 29th, and then that Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night, the 30th through November 1st. And we want you to come to that. Uh, I want you to prioritize that in your family with your church family. And I, I think that it would be so amazing if we had as many people that came to the missions conference as what comes on a Sunday morning. Wishful thinking, but I believe it's that important. I, I believe a missions conference, at least at our church, this is the way we approach it. It's a business meeting on the fate of the world and what we think about the fate of the world. And we know that the fate of the world's in God's hands, but we have a stewardship to get the gospel to the nations. We believe that. Um, and we have so many new people coming. I believe it's important for everyone to know not only uh, how we do missions, but how you can be involved in it. Now, I believe this is crucial. I believe right now is crucial. Right now. You're like, Pastor Ben, did you think last year was crucial? <laughs> yeah, 100%. But have any, has anybody been watching the news I believe, I believe the great commandment and the great commission is our mandate as a church. We're going to look today at several passages where you're going to see that God's desire for every biblical local church is to be a great commission church and that that is our mission. We glorify God by making disciples of all nations, and that's important. Who believes that's important? Cool. I convinced about two-thirds of you, so <laughs> stick with me. I also believe that the world is growing in its capacity for evil. People's hearts have to be changed. And the only way for, for that to happen from the inside out is people coming to know Christ. In our own state, there's a vote coming up on November 7th. Have you guys heard about this? Um, it, this what's being voted on, the proposal that's being made is an amendment to our constitution that does away with any regulation on abortion. It will make abortion up to nine months legal. It will make the abortionist the final say in who can get an abortion. And it takes away parental notification regarding any reproductive decision of their minor children. I don't believe that this is a political issue. I believe it's a moral issue. And so grab a sign. If you want to be convinced of what needs to happen, go to the table in the back. It's there. But I say all that to say we need to be involved in that church. But for people's hearts to be changed on issues like this, they have to have the Holy Spirit inside of them. And, and so we have a wonderful chance to make a difference in this vote. Um, People tend to think some of these issues are political issues, but they're not political issues. This, this issue is a moral issue. So I believe, why, why is this time so important in terms of worldwide missions, missions at home, missions regionally, missions nationally, missions 
internationally? And what do I even be my missions? That's what I want to talk to you about today. I believe it's important because it's literally the marching orders that Jesus gave to the church and, and by definition to our church. I believe that the world is growing in its participation and growing evil. And I believe this, the time is getting short. If we've watched the news in the last few days and weeks, you've seen several events coming together. You see China, Russia, Ukraine, Iran, Israel, the Gaza Strip, the Holy Land. These are all parts and players of what the Bible foretells is going to happen in the future. I'm not saying that what's happening right now is. I'm saying all of those players are who the Bible talks about in end times. And anyone who's familiar with biblical prophecy knows that these players are all a part of what the Bible predicts will happen in the future. For more information on, on that, I did a seven-week series on Wednesday nights last year on what Jesus said would happen in the end times and what he called it, what is called his Olivet Discourse. The passages are pretty amazing. And I, we, I made a QR code. If you point your smartphone at that um, and, and it'll come up with, on the camera app, it'll come up and you hit the link, it'll take you to our website and there's a seven week study on what Jesus has said is gonna happen in the end times. So um, at least two of you got that, that's good, praise the Lord. Um, if you go to our website and look up the return, Christ's return, living with the end in mind, you can find more information on that. It's amazing how relevant the Bible is. And by the way, the Bible that makes predictions about the future has an incredible history of making predictions that already happened in the past. And so if, you can, if it can be trusted for what it already foretold and came to pass, you can trust it about the future. Make sense? Okay. So I believe we need to talk about this because... It's our mandate because the world's growing in evil and because we don't know how long we have. There's one thing you can't do in heaven. Share the gospel. And so those who know Christ will spend forever together with Christ in eternity, but there's something we'll not be able to do after this life. And that's make disciples of Jesus Christ through preaching the gospel to the nations. This is what God has called us to do in this time, so we have no time to waste. We must embrace, embrace this mission locally, regionally, and yes, globally, if we're going to do what God's called us to do, what we've been commanded to do. The days are evil, the time is short, so it's critical at this time that we're all in when it comes to being involved in worldwide missions. But how can we be involved? Well, how can our church make an impact on the world from Finley, Ohio. How can our world, how can our church make an impact and how can you be a part of what God has called us to do together? Well, every believer can understand the how of missions by understanding the biblical pattern of missions in the local church. God set up a pattern and I wanna to point to that pattern today because it's a pattern that has worked this in some way is how you got, if you believe the gospel, it came to you by this pattern happening, okay? And I wanna show you that we are involved in this particular mission and there's a biblical pattern about how the gospel gets all over the world. And so what's the biblical pattern? Well, let's talk about it. First, I want you to see this. Jesus Christ was sent on the Father's mission in the Father's authority, 
Jesus Christ was sent on the Father's mission in the Father's authority. Uh, this kind of touches on where we've been talking about the last couple of weeks in the book of Hebrews. God went to a guy named Abraham and made Abraham the father of a great nation. And this is what he said, and maybe this might sound familiar if you've been here the last couple of weeks. He said, now the Lord had said unto Abraham, get, Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee, and in thee all the shall all the families, all the ethnos, all the all, all the nations. They use that word in the Greek in the in the New Testament when it when it quotes that. All the ethnic groups of the earth will be blessed. All the families, all the tribes, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. This is what we've been studying. God's plan for Israel was that this nation would be the conduit through which the redemption of mankind would be made possible. God intended for Abraham to be blessed, to be a blessing to the earth. How do you guys understand that when you got saved, you were blessed to, to be a blessing? That's what Abraham was. He was blessed so that he could be a blessing. How? Well, through God's revelation of his law, that led to the revelation of his son. Jesus Christ was sent, made identifiable by being the Jewish Messiah, the one who was prophesied would come, the son of Abraham, the son of David. He was sent on the father's mission. He even said so. We read of this in, in John after he died, after he was buried and rose again from the dead. He came to his disciples in John chapter 20. Look at verse 19. It'll be on the screen. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. You know why? Because if they could kill Jesus, they could kill us. So we're really freaked out. The disciples were in a room locked up. And in the middle of that, verse 19, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you. You know how he said peace be unto you? Because he scared them. Because he appeared miraculously right in the middle of the room. Peace be unto you. Anybody ever get scared by somebody? That's one of my favorite hobbies. <laughs> Sometimes I'll be like studying. I've been sitting too long and I'll walk around and I hear, I hear Rhonda coming around the corner with her podcast going on her speaker. And I'm like, she's coming right for me. She comes around, Rhonda! <sighs> it's amazing. We may need a new person one day, but oh well. Um, just shocked them. Peace be unto you. And when he had said, so he showed unto them his hands and his side. Why was he showing them that? I'm the same one who was just crucified. And here I am, guys, risen. And then he said this. I love this. What it says in verse 20. Then were the disciples glad when they saw who would love to see that video? You ever watch those reunion videos of the military guys coming home and the, and the wife turns around or the daughter or the son turns? Anybody cry at one of those videos? Like between that and the puppies that need adopted, I'm crying all the time. These guys thought Jesus was dead and then there he is alive and they were glad. And then he said this, 
Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Was Jesus on a mission? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. That was the commission from the Father to the Son. It was also the commission that the Son gave to the disciples. Whose authority did Jesus come with? The Father's. Certainly he had his own authority, yet, there was, yet here we see that he appealed to his Father's sending. That leads to the second pattern. Not only was the Father the one who sent Jesus, but Jesus Christ sent the disciples on the mission with his authority. Verse 16 of Matthew 28. It'll be on the screen. Then the 11 disciples, why were there 11? Judas had, had betrayed Jesus. The 11 disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. This is after his death, burial, and resurrection. This is right before he's leaving them to go to heaven. Verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. What were they doubting? They were not doubting that Jesus was God. If you read about what Jesus did with these disciples before this moment, not only had he appeared to them and showed him his side and showed him his hands, he had also done a Bible study with them where he walked through the Old Testament and taught them that how the old, whole Old Testament speaks of him. So they were not doubting that Jesus was who he said he was. What they were doubting was this. He kept telling them he was leaving. And he kept saying to them, I'm sending you. I'm going to leave and you're going to be sent. And so they're going, ah! I just made that echo. They're like, they're scared. They're not scared because Jesus is sending him. They're scared because Jesus, they think Jesus won't be with them anymore because he's going back to be with the Father. Here's what he says. In that moment when they're doubting, Jesus uses this incredible word, verse 18. And Jesus came and said, spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. The word translated power here is the word exousia. It has the idea of an authoritative power. Not only does it reference the ability to do something through empowerment, it references the permission to do something through authority. Does that make sense? Not only were they going to be empowered to do what God's called them to do. Listen, if God calls you to do something, he'll empower you to do it. But he was also saying, you're going to, give, you're going to give, be given authority to go do what I'm about to tell you to do. What does he tell them? Verse, 16, or not, verse 19. Go ye therefore. Go ye therefore under my power, under my authority. And teach, the word is methetes, make disciples of all nations. How do you do that? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe or to obey all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Now here's the cool part. And lo, I am with you always 
And now this is where you go, well, he was talking to disciples. What, what is, how does this apply to us? Well, he says, I'm going to be with you always, even unto the end of the world. The word for world is the word ion. It could also mean age till the end of time. So was he just talking to the disciples? How long did they live? 30, 40, 20 years? Not long. What is he saying? I'm going to be with everybody that this commission relates to. And who does that relate to? By saying that he is with them always, he's saying he's with us always. That, and that that authority has been handed down from Jesus through discipleship, all the evangelism discipleship, all the way to us. The one thing we're authorized to do is evangelism and discipleship. No, no one said Amen. The one thing you're authorized to do if you know Christ is your Savior is to evangelize and disciple. Thank you for amening. That's awesome. This is what he's told us to do. We're authorized. We're going out under his authority and his power to, to teach people to meet Jesus and to teach people to follow him in obedience. So what did the disciples do? Well, that's where we see the third part of the pattern. The disciples led people to Christ, baptized people into local churches, assemblies, and discipled them in the context of those local churches. Well, prove it to me, Pastor Ben. Cool. Acts chapter 2. Here's what it says. Verse 42. Actually, it's not on the screen, but go there in your Bible real quick because I want you to see Acts chapter 2. I started at verse 41, but you really have to go back to verse 37. Peter, Peter and the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. This is after Jesus had left. They began to speak in tongues. You go back and read those tongues. There were known languages as they spoke. People from every nation and tribe and tongue that were there heard what they were saying in their own language. Have you ever been um, overseas and for any amount of time and you, you, you haven't heard your language spoken and then someone three aisles over at the grocery store says something in American English? Does it get your attention? You know why? It's your heart language. It's the language that your mom and dad spoke to you. It's the language that you grew up with. And so when Peter stands up and he starts to speak, they're hearing in their language. And they're like, how has this happened? These guys must be drunk. That's what they say. And Peter says, we're not drunk like you suppose. This is what the Bible prophesied would happen at the end of the Old Testament is what he ends up saying. And he tells them about the prophecy coming to, 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 to be in, in front of their own eyes. And he gives them the gospel and he tells them about Jesus. He says, the one you, Jesus, who you Christ crucified, God raised from the dead. So they hear that. They believe it. They believe. They know that Jesus claimed to be Messiah. They believe he claimed to be Messiah. They say, okay, what do we do? And in verse number 37, it says, 
Well, verse 36, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus who ye crucified both Lord and Christ. Don't you want to say that to Israel today? This, this one that you crucified, God has made Lord in Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. Verse 37, said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourself from this untoward generation. They ask, what do we do? And he says essentially what the Great Commission says. You need to repent, get saved, and be baptized. Become a disciple. Evangelism and discipleship. That's what he told them to do. And then what did they do? Verse 41. Here's where we get to the screen. Then they that gladly received his word, they got saved, were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and a breaking of brethren and prayers. And fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things in common. So their possessions and goods imparted to all men, as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church, how often? Daily. Isn't that awesome? Daily, such as should be saved. As you've heard me say so many times, the work of Jesus and the work of the early church was to reach people, to disciple people, and to send people out to minister. And as the church did this locally, something amazing happened. And here's the fourth part of the pattern. Number four, God called people out of local churches who were discipled and leading in those local churches to go plant churches around the world. That's what happened. As people got saved, as people were discipled, as they began to minister and to take leadership roles, God used that experience that was happening in their local context and said, hey, it's time to go somewhere else to do the same thing. Acts 13, verse 1. It'll be on your screen. This is an example of it. It's not the only example of it, but it's an example of it. Remember what I'm telling you. How does missions happen? How does worldwide missions happen? How does the gospel get from Jerusalem in the first century to, all, to Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth? How did it get to Finley? And how does the gospel get back to where it needs to go? Well, people need to be saved. People need to be discipled. Churches need to be planted. So salvation and discipleship happens uh, uh, by Christians who are discipled in local churches, that God, that's what happens. Then number four, God calls people out of those local churches who were discipled and leading in those local churches to go plant churches around the world. Verse one, chapter 13, Acts. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and Manian, which has been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, here's what's amazing. The, the, at this point, the gospel had gotten from Jerusalem and Judea. Now it's in Antioch. And when you read those names, were those all Jewish people? You're like, 
I don't know, Pastor Ben, you're supposed to be preaching the message. You tell me. They're not. They're not all Jewish. Some of them are. Simon was from Niger. You know where that is? Africa. Lucius of Cyrene. That's Greek. Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Who is Herod? Roman. Okay, these are, is the, is, the, is the gospel going beyond Judaism? It's going beyond the Jew to the Gentile. And here are a bunch of people who are ministering to people in Antioch cross-culturally. And then it says one more, and who's the last one in verse one? You see that? Saul, later called Paul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. The word here for separate means set them aside. Now here's a question. What were they doing when this happened? Were they in a local church? Yes. Were they ministering in that local church? Yeah. What were they doing in that local church? Can I tell you they were reaching people, teaching people, ministering to people. Then the Holy Spirit leads the church and lead these men, leads this, these men to do something. He says, separate unto me. He says, send them. Send them. You're like, Pastor Ben, I didn't see send in that verse. Well, look at the next two verses. It was time for them to leave. It's time for them to go. Look at verse three. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they, talking about that local church in Antioch, what did they do? They sent them away. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost and of course by the local church. And from thence they sailed, departed unto Seleucia and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. Two words are used here for that each time it says sent. In verse three, where it says sent, the word is apaluo. It has the idea of being released. So it's like, let them go. Separate unto me, Saul and Paul, Paul and Barnabas. Let them go. In verse four, the word uh, sent is ekpempo. It has the idea of being dispatched, or like it says here, being sent forth. And sending feels like both. Um, at Cherry Street Baptist Church, where my dad's the pastor, I've been able to watch that because my dad is the pastor and we're close. I've been able to watch his ministry when he got to Cherry Street from 2008 to 2023. In those years, from 2008 to 2023, they've sent 24 house, households, units, some single, some married, some with families, but 24 different people to foreign mission fields. How cool is that? It has nothing to do with my dad. God's just using that, that church to do that. Who thinks that's so cool? I think that's amazing. I've watched from a distance how that every time someone has been called and trained and sent, both aspects of this happens. People in the church are functioning well. They're growing. Maybe they've gotten saved. They've been raised up in that church. They're, they're trained. And then when it's time for them to go, the church must send them in the sense of releasing them. This means, this means that when they're sent, they're going to miss them. What do I mean? Well, they're going to miss them emotionally. Who agrees that if someone would call someone out of our church like that and they were to go to the foreign field, we would miss them. 
There would be that emotional like, oh man, I wish they were still here. And I've watched that happen at that church. So there's that emotional like release that you have to let these people go because we're just gonna have to see each other again in heaven and talk to each other on Zoom. That's how it's gonna have to be, right? You guys don't care. That's kind of a joke. Okay, so there's that emotional, they're gone, but there's also the, the ministry part of it. They aren't going to be there doing the ministry that they were doing in that church anymore. So if those people were here and they were teaching a Sunday school class and then God were to send them away, guess what we need? We need a new teacher for the Sunday school class. Does that make sense? Because they're not going to be ministering here anymore. And so there's this releasing. If they're leading some ministry, a new ministry is needed because they've been released. So, so you have that aspect of it. But there's also, when it's time for them to go, the church must send them in the sense of supporting them. They help them financially. It takes money to get there. They, they have to support them prayerfully. If you feel like it takes money for them to get there, trust me, it takes prayer for them to get there. They promote their support among other like-minded churches to get them to the field. And when they do that, then verse five can happen. What did the church in Antioch do? They released them, they sent them, verse five. And when they were come at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews and they had also John to their minister. You know what that means? They didn't go by themselves, they took somebody with them. When they got there, they started with people who at least believed the first half of the book. They didn't start with the pagans. They started with the Jews who at least believed that the Old Testament's the word of God. Isn't that a good strategy? What a great strategy to the Jew first and also to the, to the Greek. So here you have the biblical basis. Where do missionaries come from? Look around. Where do missionaries come from? They come from local churches. As local churches win people to Jesus and disciple those people and equip them in the church, then we get to say to some people, maybe you've heard this before, you're not dismissed, you're sent. And we say that to all of us as we're sent into our community, but one day, I'm looking out for volunteers. We're praying that God would, that the Holy Spirit would say, hey, separate unto me this person, that person for the work that I'm sending them to do. Number five. Here's the fifth part of the pattern. Are you ready? These efforts, this sending, it was supported with prayer and giving from other local churches. Who agrees it would be very difficult for us to support people with a living in all these places just as a church, just as us. So, so for, I'll give you examples. They're all over the New Testament. But Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 says in verse 7, he's telling this church that he planted in Corinth. Where was he from, sent from? Antioch, right? Are you guys with me? So this is a church that he established as part of his mission what did he do? He went and reached people. He discipled them. He trained up leadership. That's what happened. In verse number seven, he tells this church that he started on this mission, how it got there. Verse seven, have I committed an offense in abasing myself that ye might be exalted because I have preached to you the gospel of God freely? What is he saying? Well, he says, verse eight, I robbed other churches taking wages of them to do you service. Now, when he says robbed, 
don't think something weird about our upcoming missions conference. Adam and Ayla Cottrell are some missionaries that are coming to our conference. Adam is out of a church in Southern Ohio. He got saved and baptized and discipled in a Baptist church in Southern Ohio. Ayla, his wife, got saved and baptized and discipled in a local church in New Testament because somebody, Brother Dave Fawcett, brought her on the bus. Her parents didn't come. Somebody went out on the bus route and brought her to New Testament Baptist Church in Largo in the 90s and 2000s, and she got saved and discipled, and now she and Adam are living in Bangkok, Thailand, telling people about Jesus. I think that's awesome. And, and so they're coming here, and they need support, and we're going to pray for them, and we're going to try to support them financially, but they're not coming and holding us up. The idea of robbing here is he's saying that, that these churches supported him so that when he went to Corinth, he didn't have to ask people for money. He, he could live. You see the pattern? The missionary isn't trying to raise his support among the lost first. He's raising his support to do the ministry among the saved at other churches. This is so helpful for their ministry. People already suspect that missionaries have some ulterior motive to come and preach to them. And by the way, there are some people who call themselves missionaries and pastors that their whole, they just, it's a get-rich-quick scheme. They're charlatans, okay? How do you know they're charlatans? They don't say what this says. But this is, imagine if money got involved too soon. Verse nine, and when I was present with you and, and wanted, I was charged, meaning when I had a need, I was chargeable to no man. For that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia, not where you are, somewhere else, some other local church, supplied. And all things I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. This isn't the only passage that talks about this, but the point is, the biblical pattern is, as God calls people out of these local churches, other local churches and other believers help give a little bit so that together we can fund the effort of the missionary getting to the, to the field and, and, and starting churches there. Not going there for one week or two weeks or here we'll get a little project, but going there, learning their language, becoming like them, winning people that are there, and then bringing up national leadership out of there to lead those churches. So that's what we see. The goal is, in number six, the goal of church planning is autonomous, which means self-governing churches. The church planting missionaries, reach people, disciple people, planted churches, and de developed leaders to lead those churches that were planted. Look at 1 Corinthians 4, verse 14. This was our reading for today. Paul says to this Corinthian church, I write not these things to shame you. He's like, I'm correcting what you're doing in this letter, but I'm not trying to shame you. But as my beloved sons, I warn you. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. What is he saying? There's a lot of people willing to teach you about Jesus, but I was there when you were born spiritually. I was there when you first got saved. You can trust me as a spiritual father. And he says this, Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. For this cause I have sent unto thee, Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ. You know what he's saying? 
You need to continue to grow. You need to continue to be developed. You need to continue to be all that God wants you to be. But I can't be there. I want you to follow me, to do what I do, to believe what I believe. And so because you need to do that, I've trained up a leader. God has provided a leader that I'm going to, small word, four letters, we've used it a lot, send. When he shows up, he's going to remind you of me. Right? You do what you're supposed to do. Follow me so that what happens? Verse 17. As I teach, what does he say? Everywhere in every church. Because I've raised up somebody to send, to help you continue, I'm freed up to go do the mission somewhere else. Who thinks that's cool? That's the, that's, how, that's the pattern. That's the pattern. The goal is that the churches that are planning are self-leading, self-propagating, and self-governing. The missionary's goal is to work himself out of a job. Why? So that they can go on to another place or maybe eventually move on to heaven. That's what happens. So here's the last part of the pattern. Number seven, the missionary church planner in the early church would report back to churches that supported their efforts in letters and visits. In just a couple weeks uh, coming up, uh, Larry Lowry told me that he and Randy are going on the mission journey of Paul. They're going to go where Paul went. Isn't that cool? It'd be a cool trip to go on. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. I didn't get permission to say that, but they're going to go where Paul went to all these different places where he shared the gospel. And you know what really like a large part of the New Testament is? It's a missionary sending letters to the churches he started. It's a missionary sending a, a, a report of what God is doing in other places where they are supporting him and working. Let me give you an example. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, you got it? Philippians 4.10, here's what it says. I'm going to read this. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. You know what he's saying? Philippians, thanks for supporting me. Thanks for caring for me. Wherein you are also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of one. Now, I'm not telling you this because I want more stuff. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know how both to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere in all things. I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. I, meaning I can be empowered to get along with whatever God provides, but thank you for God providing through you. Verse 14, notwithstanding ye have well done that ye did communicate or give or help with my affliction. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I but departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. When I left, you were my only supporting church. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity. I remember what you did. You gave. When I was starting that church in Thessalonica, you didn't just give once. You kept giving. You kept giving. Not because I desire a gift. Listen, I'm not telling you this, so I keep, you keep doing it. But I desire a fruit. Now, here's the cool part. I desire a fruit that may abound to your account. What is he saying? You know who notices 
God notices. And when you support people who are going to foreign fields to plant churches and reach people for the gospel, you had a part in that. Does that make you excited? We're going to get to heaven and meet people that the people we supported led to Christ. How cool is it to be a grandparent? To get to heaven to find out that the people that I supported supported people who supported people who were there. Who thinks that's cool? And he says, what Paul's saying is there's going to be a fruit that's added to your account. I want you to be a part of this. I want you to get in on the ground floor of what God is doing. Verse 18, but I have all in abound. I am full having received from Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Isn't God thankful when we give towards what he's trying to do all over the world? That's what it's saying. Verse 19, and if you're worried that God won't supply your need because you're helping to supply other people's needs, we all know this, verse 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, the whole point of this whole process is so that people would be saved and God would be glorified. And he gets to use us to be a part of that. Who thinks that's cool? What an amazing, amazing, amazing thing. So do you see the pattern? Do you see the pattern? We do the Great Commission here as we disciple people here and people grow here. God's going to call, I believe, people out of our church and send them all over the world. Who wants more people to go? Who's volunteering? Oh, I see that hand. I see that hand. God wants to do that. But then we get to partner with what God's doing in all these different places. As people are getting sent out, we get to support them. So what do we, how do we do that here at, at Trinity? Here's a couple things. Number one, we do great commission ministry here. We want to see people get saved. In a couple weeks, you're going to see uh, a married couple who got saved because they were invited to our church by their sister and brother-in-law who are being discipled and, and they, um, they've been listening online. They watched a bunch of my preaching and didn't fall asleep and <laughs> on the YouTube and, and they got saved and they came wanted to join the church and I got to lead the husband to the Lord. How cool is that? And they're gonna get baptized and we're gonna continue to, that's what's happening here. That's an amazing thing. So we're gonna keep doing that here but I want you to know also that this has, been the his, this has been the history of this church. Number two, we support Great Commission ministry nationally and in, internationally. For instance, this missions auction that's coming up, we're, we're going to support a project where that 108 people are going to be sent for a short amount of time to Paris, France during uh, the uh, Olympics next year. They've already bought a bunch of the hotel rooms that are needed. We're going to print 500,000 tracts to hand out during that, those weeks. They're making a website where the gospel is going to be presented in multiple languages. And, and, the, and they're also going to broadcast that website, push that website to every, um, through geofencing to every, um, and we're praying that this can happen. They're going to do that to every venue that's happening at the Olympics. People that we could not go to legally are coming to France and we're going to get them the gospel. How cool is that? So as we do this missions auction next week, the money we're going to raise is going to go to helping us buy those tracks, set up that website. Who thinks that's cool? I think that's amazing. 
But we're not just doing missions projects around here. We also support specifically church planting missionaries, what I would call biblical missionaries. Missionaries, right now we support 129 missionaries a month. How, that's amazing. Thank you, church, for your generosity. 129 people all over the world planting churches, reaching people, discipling people, learning their language, speaking their language, training up nationals to keep doing the same thing. That's how the gospel gets out. We have some that are coming that we want to raise to do more. So we're supporting Great Commission ministry nationally and internationally, and we want to keep doing that. Last year, the calendar year, um, the calendar year uh, 2021, we gave $217,000 to that effort. Isn't that cool? It's an amazing thing. You can clap. That's good. So we support Great Commission ministry nationally and internationally. And number three, here's what we're praying for. We're praying that God would send somebody out of our church. Have you been praying for that? We're praying that God would see fit to take somebody out of our church to go where Christ is not named and to do the same effort, to, t- to do what's been done for them here somewhere else. That's how we do missions. We send people to do over there what we're striving to do here. What do you mean over there? Wherever the, wherever the Holy Spirit sends them. How can you be a part of it? You can pray and you can give and maybe there's someone here that God's working on your heart to go. Maybe that's what's happening. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me?